everyone. Welcome to Stories from the Influencer Economy. This is Ryan Williams. I'll keep this short and sweet. This is episode 54, introducing Jamel Hill, podcaster, TV host, and writer for ESPN. Before we get started, I wanted to remind everyone, I answer near every podcast question I get if you email me, ryan at influencereconomy.com. Happy to talk to you if you have any questions to get you to step up your podcast game. Also, if you can find me on Twitter at Ryan J. Will. Finally, if you're on iTunes, please subscribe and leave a review. We'd love to have you in for the long haul and sign up for the email list at influencereconomy.com and I'll send you my podcast marketing action sheet for how to market your podcast show. Had a great chat with Jamel. She was a fantastic guest. Met her a few years back at South by Southwest, so it was awesome to catch up with her and talk about all that she's up to in the media world. Without further ado, Jamel Hill. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. This is Ryan Williams. Excited to have Jamel here on the line. Jamel, how's it going? Everything's going good. Glad to be here. Um, Jamel and I actually met about five years ago down at South by Southwest. She was a, a, a journalist back in the day who embraced social media back when some people thought it was a fad, other people had a steep learning curve. And then I just saw her recently at South by Southwest this year, and uh, she's got a background as a journalist, wrote for the Orlando Sentinel, the Raleigh News and Observer. I'm actually not reading this. This is, uh, okay. this is from <laughs> this memory. Is memory. Okay. And then she went to ESPN. She was on shows like First Take. And what I think is really interesting and cool is that even on television, she started a podcast, His and Hers, with Michael Smith, uh, who's also at South by Southwest this year. And then, even more fascinating is the podcast became a TV show. So you're all over the map. And then you also have this amazing Twitter community of people and you hashtag and you sort of, have, you, you have an ongoing conversation. I don't know how you fit everything in because it seems like you're always on your mobile device. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. I mean, that's the way it works these days. I think for journalists, you got to be multifaceted, multi-tooled, willing to embrace uh, kind of everything. Um, now, you know, for me, I still, even though I'm not a traditional journalist anymore, I still consider myself uh, to be a journalist. And so um, I've told, I tell you younger journalists this all the time is that you, the, the, how you gather information, the basic tenets of the profession all remain the same. The only thing that changes is the mechanism, is the method, is how you're going to deliver it. And that's the part where uh, I think things have really changed in the business. Now you have Twitter, now you have Facebook and uh, I think it allows people, good or bad, to be more consumed with how they're branded and, um, you know, what their image is, as opposed to maybe sometimes some of the the actual work. But uh, nevertheless, uh, for me, um, I've never shied away from change. That's for sure. And I think I've always been somebody who's comfortable taking risk. And so it's kind of all led me to this particular point. Well, you said you're not a journalist per se anymore. What? How do you? What do you define what you do? Well, I. Um, I'm not a traditional journalist, meaning it used to be my job to I, I would cover the team. You know, I used to cover college football and college basketball. Uh, and so it was much more in the traditional print role. But now being a commentator is like I'm still practicing journalists in terms of answering questions and um, critical thinking and those sorts of things. But, but because everything I do is based more on opinion, uh, it's just a little bit different. But, yeah, I'm still very um, I still have an allegiance to the facts. Uh, accuracy is still very important. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. In our business, cause you don't want to look foolish. Um, and credibility is important. So all the things that matter to me when I was a print journalist still matter to me now, but it's just, you know, I'm on TV and with that comes, um, different considerations. Okay. And you guys are like with his and hers, I feel like it's, it's a sports show, but it's also a culture show. And you, uh, you, you come at it a bit differently than just talking, you know, X's and O's or even analyzing the games. Um, Believe it or not, generally speaking, and this applies to both the podcast, which we still do, and um, to the TV shows, a lot of times our approach is how can we figure out how not to talk about sports today? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we today, for example, we did that because uh, clearly all eyes of America, uh, a lot of news coverage is centered in Baltimore now with the riots, with the Orioles having to figure out how to manage their schedule within the scope of these huge protests uh, going on that uh, that gave us the excuse, quote unquote, to talk about it. Uh, but it was very much just about um, civil unrest and um, 
what the protesters, you know, what they're trying to accomplish and what this all means in terms of the dialogue that's going on in America. So we, not just with social issues, but even with fun stuff. I mean, yesterday we did a topic about Bill Belichick. <laughs> People are now b- b- photobobbing. We're photobobbing the video right now. They're photobobbing People the video. People are coming out of the woodwork at ESPN. That's how they do it. They're yeah. the fun group here. Um, <laughs> so yesterday uh, we did a topic about Bill Belichick looking like he was checking out Chrissy Teigen. Right. And so the conversation then turned into how men are not real. Um, they're not real Oh, I should say they're too obvious about checking out women. People are now taking selfies with Jamel. We we will not be editing any of this out. Please don't. (laughs) This is I I know. I think they imagine when people ask me about what it's like to work here, because everybody's entry point into ESPN um, is not just the product we put on air, but like this is Sports Center commercials. And I always tell them, like, no, it is really like that. Like, yeah. you will go into the cafeteria, you have no idea who you're about to run into. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I remember, uh, granted, I didn't realize he was about to start working here. I walked into the cafeteria and I'm a big 49ers fan. And, you know, Jerry Rice is in line getting some soup. And I was like, is that Jerry Rice? It's so like, sur- sur- surreal. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's just every day you have no idea. They'll be like, oh, yeah, such and such is on campus. Like it'll be like and a lot of times it's the person you would not expect to be on campus. You're like, what are they doing here? Like we know the wrestler, Triple H, he's coming in here next week. I don't know why, but he's going to be here. He's going to be on your show? Yep. Okay. So how do you prepare for Triple H to come? Well, well, here's it. Do you watch wrestling? I used to, but I know who he is. I don't watch it. I don't I keep up with it in bits and pieces now. Maybe in the 90s you watched it. Oh, totally. Like, like when the, I was growing up, like it was WWF. Yeah, then, right. Like King Kong yeah. Bundy and Honor the Giant. Yep. Okay. Honor the Giant, Junkyard Dog, Coco B. JYD. JYD, <laughs> yeah. Uh, British Bulldogs. Uh-huh. I mean, I used to love wrestling and, you know, even loved uh, NWO and um, Dusty Rhodes. So uh, actually, so I, go- I have a daughter now and mm-hmm. she looks like Ric Flair because she's got like really blonde platinum hair. <laughs> I'm like, that's not. No, no. Is that a compliment? But she's the and we're she's from uh, my my wife's from North Carolina, uh-huh. so we're joking that she's like the nature girl because she's got this like platinum blonde hair, and she still has bangs right because she's never had a haircut, and so we always, my family's like I think she really is North Carolinian because she's got looks like the nature boy. <laughs> you know it's funny because the way you said that you're like yeah my wife you meant obviously you, she's from North Carolina but you made it seem like you had like wives in other states. What well, my that that particular <laughs> wife. Is from North Carolina. The one that lives in Cabo is a is a. She's she's much different than my my current. Than your one. Yeah, or the one. So yeah, I I live in LA now, but my wife is is from North Carolina. But and actually, that's only one of the reasons why I remember the News and Observer on your bio is because they they still read it religiously there. Yeah, and and in fact, the locals call it the News and Disturber. Yeah. Yeah. And they all think it's biased towards Carolina because my my family is for NC State. They totally, especially, oh my gosh, NC State fans have like the biggest inferiority complex. Yeah, they really, believe me, I, I wish I didn't marry into that family. No, I'm, I'm kidding, because they listen to this. Um, so you're talking about, you know, Triple H, and will he come on the podcast or just the TV show? Um, I think he's just going to do, we're just going to have him do the TV show. But generally speaking, when we have guests that are not um, sort of in the, the hardcore realm of sports, like if it's not a, you know, somebody playing a team sport or NFL related or whatever, we just try to have fun with the guests. And we try to as much as we can uh, in that five, six minute segment to do it like we would do it on the podcast. And that's been, that's a consistent challenge for us is that so many people love the podcast. They love it because much like how we're talking, like it's just loose, it's just free flowing, tangents, cracking jokes, all that kind of stuff. And they want the TV show to be like that, too. Well, TV gives you you have automatic restraints and automatic parameters that don't allow for the same openness necessarily. However, um, considering uh, how it was when we first kind of changed the name over, like we're so much better now at making the show more like the podcast than we ever have been before. So with Triple H, you know, we're going to have a lot of fun. No, I'm not going to ask him if wrestling is real. I already yeah. learned from John. <laughs> I think it was John, um, uh, the reporter from ABC who did that and got yeah. slapped. Um, that was so big so, back in the day. Yeah, it was. They would fight. These wrestlers would tell you it was real. Yeah. And then they would kick your ass, you know, <laughs> if, right. if you try to ask them if it was fake. 
Yeah, and I can understand, you know, like why they take offense to that. Now, granted, I wouldn't slap somebody or fight them, but it's, I hate when people say, oh, do you just say that just because it gets more viewers? Like, no, I'm not on TV, like, making up opinions or I don't have contrived opinions. So I can certainly understand it from that standpoint. But we're going to, like, we deal with Ronda Rousey. I mean, Mike had a scaring, a staring uh, contra- uh, contest with Ronda Rousey. Um, we talked about her dating life or lack thereof. Uh-huh. Um, you know, just, I mean, we want to give people a glimpse into their personalities and, and we want to have fun with them. Because some guests, I mean, let's be real, some guests, I don't think, especially hardcore sports fans, they don't care about what Chris Rock has to say about sports, even though we did ask him about the Knicks. But they don't they don't really care. They actually wanted him to talk, either reveal something about himself or talk about his movies or whatever. I mean, it's a, it's a fine line. It's a balance. But our lane is clearly fun. And so when you have the podcast and you talk about making the show more like that and free flowing, like did the podcast give you like a freedom to experiment more? And do you think it has it helped you like diff- you know become better on TV? Yeah, it has. I mean, even as even though Mike and I always had natural chemistry on air, um, I think uh, even you have to get to a point where you perfect it. You know, we we had natural chemistry on air, but doing the podcast together, which is our first joint venture together. Um, that allowed that chemistry to even get even more perfect than it already was. So now, it, you know, it's, it's like when you play with a point guard. I'm sure this is how Stockton and Malone felt. You know, you you knew you know where they are before you even see them there, and you just throw to a spot or however it may be. And so the podcast helped us helped us develop our chemistry even further. I think it helped us figure out our lane and our brand together, and the kind of conversations we were able to. Um, have conversations there uh, that we we kind of started to understand like what people liked about us because uh, a lot of what we do is we're responding to what you respond to and so with a podcast you already know people are investing in you like they want to hear you and so I think it just kind of helped us sharpen that for the TV show and then for like you have the roots is some of your opening music mm-hmm. so, you know you have hip hop a part of it and I think that, that you know, the way you embrace Twitter is interesting because you, you use a lot of hashtags. You, used, you were using hashtag whelp, you know, for help, yep. you know, before it really was like, you know, in the Internet n- nomenclature. How do you – I don't really use the word nomenclature that much, but – I was impressed by I that. I felt though. like it was a, the, the right <laughs> element. Um, but so, how, how, you know, you, you ran headfirst into Twitter and, like, how did you start embracing your community around that? And really, you know, we talked at South by Southwest about your podcasting listening base and how someone drove from Houston, Texas to Austin to see your live taping. Like how does, how do you feel like your online community has developed and really like, what was your, your overall like engagement strategy? I hate to use the word engagement again, but like you're, it just seemed like it was very natural for you is in what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And it, it felt natural. Um, I think there, every social media forum has this a different personality. Uh, I think Facebook, like when I was a dot com writer, Facebook, you can build a community around a column, like around a conversation you were having about a specific thing and people going back and forth, they're building communities on top of the community they built with yours. So it's, it's a, when they, you know, somebody shares a Facebook post, it truly is a sharing kind of environment. Twitter's more in the moment. Twitter's like one long instant message conversation with a bunch of different people, you know? And so um, realizing the quickness of the media, how immediate it was, um, Twitter is the best at, reactive it is so good at that like twitter on an awards night um twitter when it's a big sporting event like the super bowl is at its best because you have all these people different opinions and not just that just seeing things from different angles um it's so now that like especially with vines and you can the observations that people make on twitter make for conversations unto themselves and certainly we because we have our pulse to that and because we're a part of the conversation that carries over into the show and into the podcast, like it every week, you know, we get tons of suggestions of what people want us to talk about. You know, this week, people want us to talk about Freddie Gray, which we addressed on the TV show today. I'm not sure if we'll do a podcast on it, but that's just kind of an example. Like they'll people will see stuff and say, hey, we really want you to talk about this on the podcast. We want to hear your opinion. Mm-hmm. So from that standpoint, I think the our engagement, we didn't make a mistake of a lot of people in that. We don't look at Twitter as we're lording down on you. Is that we're the expert. You don't belong in our sandbox. We're here to just lecture you. I like truly, you know, engage with people. Yeah, I'll go back and forth with you. I mean, I'm 
I'm willing to have any conversation as long as as it's not disrespectful. And I think people appreciate that you don't feel like you're above them. And Twitter right. gives you the opportunity to kind of remove the velvet rope. And who like who is your Twitter community? Because I I'm fascinated by like the black Twitter subculture, <laughs> you know, and I have different friends that work for you know agencies that reach multicultural millennials. Mm-hmm. And we talk about this at South by Southwest. If anyone at ESPN is listening to this, your podcast is extremely valuable. You know, iTunes doesn't really have like a lot of African American content. You know, for young people to engage. Like I'll tell you a story about my avatar for for my podcast. At one point, it was me mm-hmm. with my glasses. You know, white guy, somewhat receding hairline, and. I was given advice by someone I respect in the podcasting community to take my face off the avatar. And it wasn't that I was ugly. Maybe it was, but it was mostly because they felt like the stereotype with podcasts is it's like middle-aged white dudes. Oh, and okay. So, and, they, and actually, it was great advice because I'm on the TuneIn app. And I was watching it on my smart TV. I downloaded the app, and my face is on there. And I'm like, totally right because most podcasters are comedians or sports fans. And like reaching multicultural millennials is like so hard to do within – iTunes, because I feel like there's not enough content out there. Um, yeah, that's uh, I never thought of it that way, but that's a that's an interesting um, strategy. And certainly before we actually started our podcast, I did a lot of research because I, I knew what podcasting was. But I'll be honest, I hadn't really committed to listening to many of them. And so knowing we were about to jump in this medium, uh, I started to listening to different ones, like ones that people thought were popular, you know, just to get a a collected group. And when I was doing sort of the pre-research, I noticed too that there was not a lot in terms of diversity um, with podcasting. Um, So I think for us, you know, and sometimes we even feel old because it feels like technology is getting younger and younger. But uh, I think, probably our language, our background, um, what we have been able to sense through social media, what's important to people, that has helped us develop a multicultural millennial following, even though I'm known for like going in on millennials sometimes. <laughs> um, but they can respect where I'm coming from. Well, they're because, lazy, you know. yeah, Well, of <laughs> course, you know, they don't know nearly as much as us. Uh, not the at common all. Refra- not no, at not all. at all. The common refrain. And so, because of those shared experiences and so much, especially, as you know, in the African-American community, the reason why black Twitter is so huge is built off a shared experience. The shared experience of being black, while not definable, there are still certain things about being black that just remain true no matter what. OK. And as a result, we're able to um, when that happens it becomes together as a community and uh, it's a powerful medium. And I know people kind of joke about what black Twitter is and isn't, but it's a thing, you know, however you want to, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, it is a thing. And certainly like, I mean, the the best of black Twitter is when they did that Paula Deen's best dishes hashtag. I tell you, (laughs) that's some of the funniest things uh, that you would ever read. Now, even though, Obviously, the riot, the riots and the protesting and that issue there in Baltimore, very serious. But there's this layer of black Twitter of which is finding the levity in the situation. Like I tweeted a picture of my man trying to promote his demo and or mixtape in the background of a CNN live shot. And I'm just like, okay, so you have like looting, you have serious issues, people talking about community unrest and, uh, you know, the the suppression of, uh, of, of rights. And my man is like, you know what? I'm going to try to, like, I'm going to be about justice, but I'm going to be about getting this mixtape told at the same time. And, like, that's what Black Twitter is good for picking up on that kind of observation. Like, a friend of mine, before I even got on with you, sent me, it was going around on Facebook and now it's on Twitter about some looters that apparently stole a police horse. And I'm like, so we still in police? Like, what you going to do with that? Yeah, what's, what's the point? Right. What's the point? Where are you going to take the horse? You can't, it's not like, you know, this ain't the pawn shop. You ain't going to walk up in the pawn shop with a horse and be like, hey, man, what can I get for this? Like, <laughs> you know, so that's the part I love about social media. Like, even within the most serious situation, like the levity that's involved with it, it just makes it worth it. That's a nuance I never have picked up on. I'm thinking yeah. of more like a social movement, you know, with Ferguson and you're getting more crowdsourced content. Mm-hmm. That maybe wouldn't have been put, definitely would not have been put to light without Twitter and social media. 
Yeah, I mean, I think. But there's a there's a more human element that obviously is there. Is it? It is, and a humorous element too, um, because I know that to some people on the outside, it may seem like every five minutes, you know, black millennials are protesting something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the fact is, there's quite a bit that goes on in between, um, and I think, you know, where Mike and I uh, have been successful with our podcast, like even though obviously we're both African Americans around the same age both from major uh, inner cities. He's from New Orleans. I'm from Detroit. We have some commonalities, but within how people categorize people, we don't really fit. Um, we don't fit a specific something. I mean, other than being black, we don't fit something. And so I think um, our versatility and our range is why we've been able to draw very strongly from our from that group. And even on the TV show, I mean, our numbers uh, in that millennial demo are just... There, I mean, I think we were leading ESPN2 shows for a, a long while, for like a year, in terms of growth in that demo. Uh-huh. And so then, just using Twitter as an example, because like, people always think like Scandal, you know, the TV show, mm-hmm. was very much like saved on the air because of like the African-American following around it through social media. So now it's like all these marketing and advertising companies are like, we got to, you know... Use social media to you know to reach people like uh, Empire, for example. <laughs> yes, Empire. Yep, you that's know, a perfect example. Like people are talking about these shows that I feel like it's strange that it took so long to get a show like Empire on the air, right? Because it's like a it's like a soap opera, right? It's like Melrose Place kind of, and mm-hmm. not a two and It's got that feel to it, but it's like that kind of show. It didn't exist on TV and maybe till social media show there was actually an audience for it, and there was no avenue for where. Uh, somebody who was um, multicultural and African-American could vent about wanting to get that type of show on or therefore supporting it. I mean, I think Scandal is a great example uh, because that was a show that was on its last leg and it was about to be canceled. And then this groundswell happened and now it's more popular than ever. And what happens with Scandal, the nights that it's on, I don't even, I've watched one season of Scandal and yet it takes over social media whenever it's on. And I think Empire has tapped in that too. It's the, it's the same way is that now people are feeling a way uh, or have a, a defined way in which they can be heard about what they like and what they don't like. And even better, what helps the show's popularity is that, again, you have this shared collective community experience happening at the same time and playing out over social media. So instead of it, it might be, we, it, you could be alone at home mm-hmm. watching Empire and it will very much feel like you're sitting there with like 80 of your cousins and yeah. y'all all watching Empire together. So does it have, it has like a familial element to it? Mm-hmm. Where you've, yeah. like, even though you're from Detroit and Michael's from New Orleans, you guys can still connect culturally. And even if you don't know the person on social media, it, it's the same way? Just because? Yeah, totally. I mean, and and keep in mind because, you know, uh, the the group that's absorbing empire. I mean, a lot of people clearly like empire because look at the ratings. So it's not just black people. But even if you want to limit it and just look at the how black people consume empire, um, the thing is, it's like it's able to. I, I think in, for our communities and a lot of multicultural communities, because family and bonding and togetherness. Not to say it doesn't mean anything in other communities, but especially in our communities, because. For so long, not having that acceptance in the outside world, it wasn't as easy for us to go out and make friends, if you will, of people of other races. So, you you know, you had your cousins and you had your family members. And because Twitter is able to give you a similar feeling, everybody can identify with what's happening all at the same time. So if you had like so your traditional route was through journalism and writing at newspapers. Did you and you were in Raleigh? Did you want to go to Raleigh or was it more the job was there? The job was there. I mean, one thing you accept very early on in this profession is that it's transient. Um, You're going to move and live in a lot of different places. So after I graduated from college, and keep in mind in college, I went to Michigan State as people can see. Well, people people who wouldn't know. But if people follow you at all, they would know this. You're not shy about your Michigan State pride. So, um, you know, I was, uh, even in college, I had five internships. And so I was used to, you know, I interned in Lima and interned in Detroit, Philadelphia, Cleveland. And my last internship, my summer after my senior year um, was summer after I graduated was in Raleigh, North Carolina. And it was not a paper that was at first on the map for me, but a really good friend of mine, one of my best friends from college, he was already there as a permanent staffer. And he told me, like, it's a really young 
core group of writers. This is a writer's paper and they hired their interns, which is all I needed to know because I needed some benefits. Yeah. So I was you like, dental. I needed dental. That's right. You were to be so, on TV someday, you know, you got to have a good smile. Yeah, you do. Um, although I wasn't thinking that then. I was just more or less thinking, like, I would be happy to get them clean once a year when I'm supposed to. You want to pay, so, pay, pay the bills, really. Get, yeah. You want to get by. Pretty much. So, um, you know, basically, uh, as a result, um, you know, I went to Raleigh, uh, did well there. They were doing some new and exciting stuff in terms of, like, how they were expanding their coverage of, like, women's sports and other things. So uh, they extended my internship, and then I think probably a few months into the extended internship, they offered me a job, and I took it. And so I was there for two years, loved it, um, lived by NC State, <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah uh, which obviously you're familiar with. Yeah, and, um, for better or for worse. <laughs> right, so that's why I said I'm real familiar with the <laughs> NC State inferiority complex. So I, uh, I, I was there for two years, and then I went back to Detroit, um, to Michigan, not because I was homesick or anything like that, but uh, they offered me the opportunity to cover uh -huh. Michigan State football and basketball. And so I did for six years, and uh, I went from there to Orlando. Uh -huh. And then um, I came to ESPN in 2006 as a dot-com columnist, which a lot of people also don't realize. Like, I was not hired to do television. Television was way in the back of my mind. I didn't even want to do TV. Uh, I just wanted to write. And so I came here as a columnist because um, Skip Bayless was actually doing your, your, uh, pizza field your, time. Your, your headphones pick up a little feedback. Oh, did it? Okay. Yeah. You got me now? Yeah. Okay, it's better? All right. Yeah. Um, so I actually, when I joined ESPN in 06, it was purely to be a dot-com general columnist and the TV stuff just evolved because if you can generate commentary commentary that makes you more attractive for television and if you you know sound legible can complete your sentences <laughs> yeah they, they, that works out pretty well the basics yeah the basics and so i was always comfortable on tv in part because frankly i didn't take it that seriously so i was just myself on tv like almost from the beginning so you feel like i mean in a lot of ways in life i think you succeed because you end up uh like you have an attitude like this is who i am take it or leave it and then people think, oh, wow, you know, they're, that person's so, like, sure of themselves. It's almost like you, you didn't need it, right? Because you had your writing and you were, yeah. you were fortunate that you weren't all in on TV. No, I mean, it was not something I've been dying to do. It wasn't something I cared about doing. But, you know, sort of very quickly after sort of year three or four that I was at ESPN, I was like, TV is kind of the way to go. Um, and to be perfectly frank, because of the money. Yeah. It's, it's like the money in TV is astronomical compared to what you would make as a writer. As a writer, you're going to hit a ceiling in TV. Um, obviously, if you're not as good, you will. But in TV, you really don't. I mean, you got people like Matt Lauer making like $20 million a year. So yeah. that ceiling is always there. Now, I can only hope to get paid that much one day. But the fact that you know it's possible, that's what makes the TV game way different. Also more treacherous, too, might I add. But you, you interviewed uh, Janae Rice on mm -hmm. ABC. So, I mean... You'll get there, right? You're gonna be on. Well, the, you're gonna be on uh, Good Morning America before we know it. Well, um, well, Janae Rice was a written piece, which I actually liked. That it, because it, um, it kind of got me back to my roots, and I miss writing. And once I signed on to do his and hers full time, and previously Numbers Never Lie, that meant having to give up writing. And so, for the first time in my career, now I'm not a writer. I'm just a TV uh, talking head. Probably the, you know, along those lines, probably the, the strangest thing. Um, and I had like people I hadn't heard from in a while like texting me about it is when the report got out there that I was uh, in the running for The View. And, you know, yeah, I did go try out and it was fun and it was a great experience. Um, but, you know, that's the kind of the craziness of TV. All of a sudden you're in a conversation or up for something you just never even thought like The View, really? Yeah, like, yeah. you know. I, no, I didn't think I was necessarily what they were looking for, but just to, you know, sit there and do a test with like Whoopi Goldberg and Rosie O'Donnell was just kind of like, oh, this is weird. I'm like on the view right now. How strange is this? Did, did they have a guest come in to simulate that? No, they didn't. They did have a, a, a real audience. And uh, clearly somebody in the audience was a TMZ operative because that's who first reported the story oh, nice. about who all was there. That's good for your and, contract negotiations at ESPN. Well, hey, it's not bad branding <laughs> because, uh, you know, they uh, when they – and ESPN obviously knew about it because we're sister companies. Um, but, you know, from a branding standpoint, 
it works out because all of a sudden, you know, maybe people thought of me as just a sports person. And then they hear about me auditioning for The View and they're like, oh, well, yeah, maybe we could see her do that. And especially since because of sports, we're having so many conversations um, about so- social issues, domestic violence, as you brought up with Janae Rice and other things. So, you know, I do a lot of MSNBC and I've done CNN and I, you know, do a lot of those shows that sports is much less limiting um, for me in this role as opposed to when I was a writer. And so do you, now that you, know, you have Twitter and social media and you came up through, you know, writing and as a journalist, like, did you like the way you came up and how, today, like, would you want to be a journalist and would you want to jump into it and create content for a blog and start yeah. po- posting? I feel like uh, this is almost an unfair question for me to answer only in the sense that I've known since I was um, in high school, I wanted to be a journalist. I was very fortunate and blessed to somebody who knew what they wanted to do really early on. And everything I've done since that has been about being a journalist. Um, I've only had two jobs not in journalism. I delivered phone books one year in college. Yeah. And uh, worst job ever, by the way. And um, I still have phone books, by the way. Who is doing this? That's what I was like. I was like, why are you producing these waste? I just throw them in the recycling recycling bin. bin. Exactly. Yeah. I heard they, first of all, who even needs a phone book now? Like Google is the phone book. And who's making money off of it? Why would they, are they selling ads? They are. I don't get it. I was like, why are we still producing this? The biggest waste of space ever. So that Um, was you back in the day. Yeah. But actually used phone books then. When we did use them. For any of these millennials um, listening, a phone book yeah, is... They don't know about that struggle. <laughs> they don't know about having to go to the white pages and look up somebody's number, <laughs> right. right? So um, I did that. And then the other job, I like in high school, I was a cashier at a YMCA snack counter, which I was terrible at because I couldn't add and I gave all my friends food for free the entire summer. Oh, really? So, yeah. I mean, how I wasn't fired or like brought up on charges of embezzlement, I don't know. So you could work at Publix <laughs> at, in Tallahassee giving out Jameis Winston. And grab legs, <laughs> but see, you know what? You it's identified. Because, it's because of my experience as a YMCA cashier, and might add, also because when I was um, in college, my girl worked at a grocery store, and I used to get the hookup all the time. See, Jameis's mistake was that when you do a grocery store hookup. Unless it's the the manager or the person working the register, it ain't worth it because somebody else has to answer to somebody else. All right. So he was on the hookup ladder. He was too far down. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it was probably even though I know publicity story, but my my uh, Sherlock detect, you know, Sherlock Holmes investigation of like, you know, intricately knowing about hookups. It's like if a dude in the back there in the deli or in this case, in the seafood uh, area, is like hooking you up. You need that dude to work the register, or at least he got to tell the person at the register that you're being hooked up. Yeah. So, yeah, so obviously that person, it was a singular hookup. He needed a hookup conspiracy. So it, was, it, it was poorly executed. It was, oh, my God. It, it was, was almost like, like a JV hookup that, you know, you got to go up to, like, someone who's management or at least has some authority Thank you. So that when they see you walking yeah. out the door with the crab legs, somebody ain't like, hey, that dude didn't pay for it. Right. So because they didn't cover him. No. The public <laughs> didn't come out and say, oh, yeah, like, you know, it's our mistake. They Which probably they couldn't. They couldn't. But they also mm-hmm. if they had this agreement, they like he botched it up. Like well, he, it would have never got that far because yeah, whoever told the manager him. that they saw him, they'd have been like, oh, no, no, we already squared it away. And then it, that would have been that. So like when my girl worked the cashier. At Kroger's, where she, I would go to her line. She would tell me when she was working. I would go in her line. I'd have like 12 items. She'd ring me up for two, and I'd be on my yeah. way. Well, it's That's like, how you do it. It's like when you go to a bar, you know, the bartender, mm-hmm. and then they, you, you drink Same all thing. night with your friends, and then they give mm-hmm. you the bill. It's 20 bucks. Right, and then you already know because they hooked you up and you to give them some extra. Re- you yep. tip them some great tip, and then no one's the wiser. It's the unwritten rule. That Thank like you. you hook people up, and that's it's it's how it works. But it's how it works. But I feel like I can judge him as a quarterback now, based on <laughs> not being able to execute the hookup. This, you know what, that ex that hookup was executed so poorly. That's like worth like five or six extra interceptions. You know I what think I'm so. Saying? I mean, I think he's gonna have poor judgment in the pocket because <laughs> he's gonna think that he can run when he can't. I mean, I think the quarterback position of all positions, you have to know how to execute the basics. Yeah, and. I think constantly in life, like uh, when I assess draft picks and think about their success or and or failure, I look at their ratio of failing common sense tests. Yeah, exactly. Like, 
Yeah, like Shane Ray, um, who just got busted for pot, uh, who's supposed to be like a top 10 pick. I mean, he was already kind of falling down some draft board uh, draft boards because he had a toe injury. And there's some debate about whether or not he really needs surgery. Nevertheless, man, it's three days before the draft. You yeah. be busted with pot now? Like, you couldn't wait till Friday? Yeah, exactly. Like, like wait till Friday and light up. Yeah. Now you coming into the league. Now you coming into the league on the, the stage one of the program. So that means your room, your margin for error has shrunk. And you haven't even put on pads. You haven't even been drafted. And you, so it's, it's, yeah, and your draft status is going to tank now because... Yeah, now you're a value pick. Yeah, like yeah. everybody. Yeah, I mean, GMs, look, they're, they're going to give some lip service to that being a red flag. At this point, I think most people in charge of the NFL have accepted the fact that a lot of dudes in the NFL smoke weed. That's right. just how it is. Right. But they judge harshly, as they should, those people who get caught doing it. Because yeah. you got to be a real moron to get caught at this point. Right. And so it's just like yeah. having common sense can get you far. Thank you. Hey, what is the old adage they always say? If sense was common, everybody would have it. Yeah, and it's almost like that's the basic judge of people. Yes. Like, can you? It's like who you want to hire, who you want to be friends with. Like, yeah. I mean, I believe me, I have people that I've married into my family that have no common sense <laughs> from North Carolina that I just am baffled by. And I'm like, I've never met anyone like you before. Like, right, like, and there's a reason. Most people, from whatever their background is, the common denominator is common sense. That's what I'm saying. Like, book sense, certainly important. Yeah, it is. Common sense, even better. Yes. <laughs> even better. It's like, okay. And uh, we were talking about millennials earlier, and I've said this before on our podcast, is like part of the disconnect I sometimes have with millennials is like, they ain't got a whole lot of common sense. They can't think on the, they can't think on the fly. You know, I, I was an um, adjunct professor at uh, UCF. And so, of course, when it came to not turning in assignments and not doing work, some of the excuses I would hear, I'd be like, look, I, I get it. Like, I wasn't perfect as a student, certainly skipped my share of classes, was not ideal. But I tell you what, if I lied to, to the professor, that's going to be the best damn lie I can think of. Yeah. The lies y'all give me, it's like, y'all must think I'm stupid. Yeah. Like, y'all really it's, must think I'm stupid. It's almost more like you're more annoyed and more mad at like, them for lying so badly. Yeah, it's like, make it's, me believe the it's lie. It's insulting. Like, Totally. Don't be it's lazy. Like, Don't half-ass your lies. Thank you. I, yeah. I need you to put some effort into your lies. Like, make yeah. it seem plausible. Like, I'd be like, you know what? That is plausible. Don't give me something that, like, is totally ridiculous and preposterous that's not plausible. I'd rather you just say, you know what? I ain't do it. I was Yes. <laughs> Come clean or lie well. Don't... You know, if you've derived anything from this podcast, that right there, my friend, yeah, that's is good the advice. takeaway. That's the takeaway. I could see why you're good at podcasting now. Because you can like really <laughs> run with some tangents, but then well, tie it all back together. That's what it's all about. Like I think you know people. Yeah, I can give you a thousand hot sports takes. You want to do that? All yeah. right, let's do that. Yeah, okay, it's so boring, that's fine. I mean, but right, but it's like we're in a where sports. I've seen it significantly change. Is you know I think there's a crowd of people, a huge crowd of people, and these are the people we sort of try to tap into that truthfully want to be entertained. Yeah, they want to argue with us. That's part of it. Yeah. But they kind of want to be entertained. Too. Right. Yeah. Well, it's like sports. There's so much content out there. Mm-hmm. So if you, you, can't, you can't stand out unless you have a unique voice. And yeah. if you just regurgitate stuff that you can find. I mean, ESPN is on all the time. Every website covers the same news. If you don't have an interesting perspective that's like unique, and not just a, a quick fact or a take, um, then you, you're going to go away. You're like a dinosaur. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I hope it at some point it happens that the hot take machine, you know, goes rusty because like yeah. even I get annoyed with all the hot takes like, all right, man, hot take. But when it comes to perspective and for that matter, authenticity, you know, it's yeah. like one of the things that we certainly do a lot on the show and on the podcast, we make everything or try to you know, make everything personal so yeah. that people know, like, we're not, again, it, we're not trying to make it seem like we are better. My phone keeps falling. We're not trying to make it seem like we're better than you. What we are trying to do is make you understand that we can relate to you and we want you to relate to us. We want this to be a two-way street, a relationship, not just, oh, you're these big talking heads at ESPN who's, you know, beating us down with your information. We hope that you're able to see by what we've exposed that, like, this is some of this is personal for us too and you're like sort of you're ordinary you know you're not mm-hmm. like standing out like you're above the fray like arrogant 
No, no, yeah. not at all. You keep your arrogance and, quiet, you know, only during contract I mean, negotiations. I feel like <laughs> that's probably the polite thing to do. Yeah. You know, I don't want to overwhelm you with all my arrogance, so I yeah. just ration it out here. Yeah, now. it's like uh, you siphon it. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> totally. Uh, but so if you could give advice to someone who's starting a podcast, and you, you admitted that you did some research, you didn't necessarily know the, the world as well, you didn't listen to a lot of shows, but just coming from like a topic area or figuring out like what their voice is, what would you say to people? Well, um, number one is BU. And this is something, I guess, to use a sports analogy, that's sort of somewhat current. Um, even though I think Chip Kelly might be batshit crazy. Yeah, he's okay. Nuts. He could be nuts. He's nuts, right? He might be. However, the one thing I do appreciate about um, what he's doing is that he's clearly made the decision that if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it my way. Right. And Mike and I made that decision early is that there's a, as you said, there's so many voices out here, a lot of people doing the same thing. Everybody, you know, is warming up the hot take machine. You know, if we do something on our own, succeed or fail, we're going to do it that our way. So that way, if it does fail, we can feel good and we can feel like we didn't try to do somebody else's version of our podcast. So if you're starting a podcast, I would say, number one, just be you. And like, don't worry about trying to emulate Adam Carolla, whose podcast is making a ton of money or trying to emulate, emulate Bill Simmons. I hate when people... I shouldn't say hate. That's too strong of a word. I'm disappointed when people come up to me and they say, oh, I want to be the next Bill Simmons or I want to be the next you. Like, no, you want to be better than me. You want to be different than me. So while certainly reading other people, listening to other podcasts can help you sort of figure out like, okay, you know, this is the rhythm and the beats of how this thing goes. um, I would throw all of that out the window because as I said, I did all that research only to find out like, no, they're just doing their own thing. Yeah. Like there is no format. There is no structure. There is no magic formula for it. You just have to be you and hope that people buy into it. Um, in terms of content, I would say that like um, authenticity and personal, making it personal is a big part of it. Because the one thing we love about the podcast medium is that when people download, they are making a tremendous investment. On TV, we're trying to catch your attention every five minutes. We're working for the audience, like working hard, like trying to pull you in. Yeah. Podcast, once you download us, you already told us you're in because you're going to listen to that and you're going to listen to all of it. I mean, it it cracks us up because if we do like a 35 minute podcast, which is what they tell you to do, you know, keep it so it's a ride home or ride to work or time on a treadmill when people are wasting time. Man, our some of our viewers or our listeners rather will cuss us out about that. They want an hour's worth. Right. Like they want they want bang for their buck. So uh, while I'm certainly I guess I don't want to tell you to go against conventional wisdom, but I do want to say that just lets you know the investment. That's I agree. In I think first of all, I, I love that people are cussing at you, <laughs> and they're like happy they're politely. Like, they're happily cussing at you yes. in like in an encouraging way. <laughs> um, but that also like what you're saying is I totally agree with like. You can't emulate someone who's already so successful but doing it for years. It's like if you're starting a technology company and you're comparing yourself to Bill Gates. Right. Or Steve Jobs. Yeah. Right? And in the tech world, a lot of people are like assholes because <laughs> they think that that's what Steve Jobs did and that's how you should <laughs> build a product. But it's, yeah. the, it's the worst advice. And the second one is don't listen to people's advice about like how your podcast should sound, how the format should be, how long it should be. That pretty much everyone thinks that they know how to start a podcast, and you're, you're not going to know until you just do it. Yeah, and you're, it's going to be some trial and error. Like if you listen to our first podcast, that I think it's it's two years ago. It was right after the Ravens beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl, and we the first podcast we did like 30 minutes on you know the game and this play and that play, and we did 10 minutes about Beyonce's halftime show. And when we went back and listened, the podcast was all over the place because we didn't do, we felt so obligated to talk about the game. Right. Not even conceptualizing that like, yo, by the time people hear this, they know what the hell happened in the game, right? They know who did what and who is the MVP and all of this other stuff and about the lights going out and da 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 What they really wanted from us is a whole podcast on Beyonce and halftime shows. Yeah. That's what we should have done it on. And so that's that was the lesson and the learn that it took us a few podcasts and to figure it out. Like people can get that stuff anywhere. They want to know about Mike telling the story about how he had to sit there 
with his wife and watch Beyonce and about how uncomfortable it was because he was trying to act like he wasn't ogling Beyonce. Like <laughs> that's that's what people want to know. Yeah. And they want to know what that's like. And they can and that's a relatable experience for married men or dudes in a relationship or whatever. Right. Even if it's just side piece, you're trying to figure out how not to be disrespectful while watching Beyonce. So we figured out that was our lane. That that's what we really want to talk about, which is why I said um, that's why on our, our Twitter page, the, the His Hers uh, podcast Twitter page, the description is a podcast about whatever because we're trying to figure out a way to not talk about sports. Now we don't even hide it. I mean, we had a podcast last week about strip clubs. We don't even hide it anymore. Yeah. We're like, we're not talking about sports. Yeah. So it, if, if, if you came to us trying to figure out is Russell Wilson the next great quarterback, you downloaded the wrong podcast. And you're not upset if they just uninstall your podcast and don't subscribe. No, because, you know, um, and granted, I will admit, easy to say when you're at ESPN. And I mean, most things that we give a platform are going to be an absolute failure. This is true. But the reason why ours grew into the success and therefore gave people around here internally the confidence to make it into a TV show is because we never went into it with the idea of getting downloads. We went into it with the idea of we just wanted to work together and that was it. And we wanted to be ourselves. And so that was our main focus. And because we stayed true to that and stayed true to our identity, um, I think that's what has helped it, uh, you know, kind of become the success that it has. And, you know, the podcast, the reason we chose The Roots and the, the song The Next Movement is because The Roots, it's funny to me when I hear people, I say, uh, we talk, like, I'll talk about The Roots and they'll be like, oh, yeah, that's Fallon's band. See, no, I don't know The Roots yeah. as Fallon's band. I know that's what they do. Right. Yes. I've been rocking with The Roots since their very first album right. with Think- I Shall Proceed, Do You Want More? And Things, right? Fall, Things Fall Apart was the uh, album with the movie. Next movie, yeah. yes. But The Roots, I read this great interview that Questlove did. I believe it was New Yorker. And he said, you know what? For a while, we would be disgruntled and upset because we didn't have that, you know, total commercial acclaim. And he's like, after a while, we just they just kind of resigned themselves. It's like, we're going to always be the underground group that, yeah, it's going to be a limited amount of people who mess with us. But I tell you what, those people who fuck with us really fuck with us. And so that's why we, A, we love the roots. And B, why there are sort of spirit animals is that when you down with the roots, like everybody who down with the roots ain't down with Jay-Z and yeah. vice versa. Those are two separate groups. Some of them, sometimes they're both the same. But the reality is the people who down for the roots ride for the roots. And we want people to feel the same way about so us. You don't need a, you know, 50 million people. No, we don't. As If we got a solid 25,000 that will listen to every word yeah. we say, we're good with that. There's this great article about 1,000 true fans written by this mm. guy, Kevin Kelly, who uh, mm. used to write at Wired. I'll send it to you. Okay. Um, but he talks about how all you need is 1,000 fans to give $100, which is like a day's work or uh, a, once a year, and you can actually make $100,000 because – and that's mm. really what you need as an artist you know, mm. or someone who's got a, a listening or community around them. Yeah. And if you think uh, about it that way, you don't like it's, and that's why ESPN people, I think, if they're listening, should understand like how valuable the audience is because your audience uh, is like segmented, right? It's not just this broad, you know, like community of 18 to 42 year old men. I imagine there's a lot of women, there's a lot of African Americans, and just finding that kind of a community online isn't easy. No, and and you're right. Um, and I'll help you with your negotiations next time you're up. You know, I, I'm starting to feel like Just you might should be my agent. Fly like me maybe in. You should be, yeah, and give a great presentation about all this. <laughs> we'll make a big PowerPoint. <laughs> but you, but what you said is like so true. I think a lot of times when people jump into podcasting, they get consumed by the success of the podcast. And and again, as I said, that's easy to say for somebody who's at ESPN, but. I think it bears true. If you get into it and you're worried about how many people are downloading it and turning it into a commercial success, you lo- you use the essence and what is the likability of podcasts. Like it's about truly getting to know somebody and getting this entry point in their lives, um, and you know, hearing a good conversation. And if you provide the, if you provide those things, I mean, people are going to buy in. You know, you don't need to manufacture the success. Okay. Well. The- I have one final question for you, and then we'll let you go because you've just had a 90-minute TV show. You now have this interview. <laughs> you got to go get a coffee or a latte. But when uh, Anthony Soleil, who we're going to give a shout-out, who's Nas's manager, he was on the show, 
and at South by Southwest, you saw Nas perform, and you wrote top five night, top five rapper on your Instagram. Who is your top five list of hip hop artists? See, not like we're talking it's, to someone from ESPN, and you guys are the king <laughs> of the list. I know it, it's funny though because there are certain conversations on Twitter that I just tap out on because I'm like I'm just afraid of the fresh hell in my mentions. Pot versus Biggie. Don't say anything negative about Beyonce, like ever, ever. Um, and then, uh, you know, LeBron, any Michael Jordan discussion, just put that in the box of things that like completely go hot, haywire. Top five MCs is one. But nevertheless, I'm going to give you a top five. Yeah, just give in the, in the moment. In the moment. And is it, as I told people, sometimes it changes. All right. So Nas obviously uh, is in that. I'm going to go Black Thought, uh, Most Def. Um, Biggie, um, Karis One. Okay. Right. I'm gonna throw a dark horse in there. Q mm-hmm. Tip. Love Q Tip. Undervalued. But he is. But do you like Q Tip solo no, or no. Q Tip collectively? But see, that doesn't count. That's top five <laughs> groups. You just like Michael. You just like Mike. Okay, yeah. we did a top five of rappers. This fool said he, he put Black Star. I'm like, no, oh, Black Star, funny. most different Talib yeah. is a group yeah. that is not an individual. Right. And while Q-Tip is an individual, if you like Q-Tip more, where well, he's a Tribe Called Quest, if we did top five groups, yes, Tribe Called Quest is in there. You're right. You're very so you can't specific. single them out. You're very specific with your list. I like it. I, I, look, I'm vigilant about these top fives. Like, there are rules. There are order. And I like how okay? you like pre- you had a prerequisite. You're like, look, I don't even like this debate to begin with because there's Biggie and Tupac and Beyonce. And then you're like, but I'll give you the list. So you even, <laughs> before you got into it, you quantified your stance on this. So Yeah, I'm going to answer the question. It's just like, I just had to let people know that like, I do realize I'm inviting a fresh hell into my mentions by answering this question. But because I'm a soldier, I'm going to answer it anyway. I like it. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. It's been five years in the making. <laughs> you were at South by Southwest. We got got to give Blogs with Balls a shout out. Yeah, definitely. Because and then because uh, they were the initial connection between us. Yeah, back in the and day. that was the birthplace of the His and Hers podcast. And now, oh, that's right. Did you talk to Michael about it there? Yes, that's what we because we went to Blogs with Balls, and because we saw so many people like doing their own thing, starting their own thing, talking about podcasts. Right there, I believe we were in. We were, it was in Toronto. We were in the, the uh, restaurant Joe Mama's. And um, Mike was like, let's just do a podcast. And I was like, yes, let's do it. So it that is the his and hers birthplace. Oh, nice. Was Toronto Blogs with Balls. Those guys are like the secret, you know, silent hand around so much in the sports media world. Very true. Very true. And, Shout uh, out to Don Povia and Chris to, Lucas. Exactly. And <laughs> yeah. Kyle Bunch. And Kyle Bunch, yep. All right, cool. Thanks for coming on. Yay, thanks for having me.